Revelation chapter 18. We went out yesterday with the kids as they were having camp to play a little bit, and that was a bad idea. Camp and games that they play at camp are for young people, and I am not a young people. They had one game that they, that they tie a bungee cord, pretty long bungee cord, to your waist, and you have to run out there, and it's pulling against you, and you're trying to pull against it to go out and grab some balls and then go the other way and drop them in a bucket, and it is tough. And when that bungee cord jerks you back, if you lose your footing, I'm going to tell you the hard way, it hurts. So if anybody ever says, do you want to strap to a bungee cord and head off to grab some balls, you tell them no. Anyway, it was fun, though. The kids had a good time, and I had a good time, and uh, I learned a valuable lesson. And so, But I'm sure they'll tell you all plenty of good stories when they get back uh, next week. Revelation chapter 18, we have been dealing with some heavy stuff in the book of Revelation. And I know that probably if you guys are like me, that I know at least when I was younger for sure, and even now sometimes, it's kind of tough when you uh, week after week for a, for a long period going through here, it seems like nothing but, but doom and gloom, so to speak. It seems like nothing but, but bad stuff. It's, it's heavy stuff. It's scary stuff. It's tough because we don't really understand what all of it means. There are some, some weird language there. We're talking about a dragons and slayed lambs and all these things coming from the sky and, and deceptive people on earth, the, the demons having their way. There's all these things that are scary to us. And, and as we have progressed through the book of Revelation, we, we started out the book uh, establishing that Jesus Christ is what the book is about. No matter all these other things we may find that may be scary that we need to pay attention to, but we don't need to lose focus of the fact that the book of Revelation is about Jesus Christ and he is going to return. And we are constantly reminded through the book of Revelation that Jesus Christ is victorious and that those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ will share in the victory that he has gained when he died on the cross and was resurrected. That is what the book of Revelation is about. And we constantly are reminded of that every few verses, but there are long stretches of God's word. There are chapters at a time where we see God's wrath being poured out, and we have seen that wrath being poured out in full force, in full measure in the last couple of weeks. We are in the part of the book of Revelation which is drawing near to the end times. Now God has been patient up to this point in the book of Revelation. He has given people ample opportunity to turn from their sinfulness. He has started out gradually with some judgments and some things to get people's attention. That's us. We're people reading the book of Revelation. He's trying to get our attention to make sure that we know what's what. And we see that as people refuse to accept God, that the punishments increase. Now what we also see is that those who are in Christ, we see in the scripture that we will not have to experience God's wrath. Praise the Lord. We see that there are some who are sealed. We see that uh, when some of these plagues and things come, that they aren't allowed to touch the people of God. 
Now, we've talked a lot about the rapture. I don't know when that's going to be. There is coming a time where Jesus Christ will come back and bring his children home. I don't know when that time will be. Maybe it will be before all this bad stuff. Maybe it will be in the middle of the bad stuff. Maybe it will be at the end of it. But what we can know from the Bible is that when we have accepted Jesus Christ, we are freed from God's wrath. We are protected from that. Jesus Christ has taken the punishment that we deserve when he died on the cross. And we are about to be finished with the really heavy stuff. Praise the Lord. But we've got some more heavy stuff today in chapter 18. Now chapter 18 is a, is a long chapter. I will do my best to try to get us through it without rambling on and getting sidetracked today. But Lord willing, we're going to do our best to go through Revelation chapter 18. We'll I'm not going to read through the whole text like I typically do. We're just kind of going to go through it one or two verses at a time uh, just to conserve some time and try to see exactly what's going on. Now, um, some of you may have not been here much over the last few weeks, but in the last, the last week we talked about this Babylon the Great, this mystery Babylon the Great, uh, the, the text calls it. That's what the Bible calls it. And so well, we talked last week a little bit. Is it going to be a rebuilding of the actual city of Babylon, which is... Uh, that area still in the world today, or is this mystery Babylon, the mystery being that it's going to be some other great nation or great city as the end times come, or is this just a representation of all nations throughout all time? Well, I personally, this is my interpretation, and you may differ on this, there are many different views, but my interpretation based on the text and what we see in the text is that in the end times, when that time comes, could could be next year, could be next week, could be a thousand years. We don't know when that's going to be. But as these things begin to unfold, I believe that this mystery, Babylon the Great, is going to be representative of some actual, literal, physical city or nation that is going to be in this world, that is going to rise to prominence, that is going to be a superpower, that is going to be a wealthy and proud and powerful nation. I believe that it is a real place that is going to exist in the end times. I also believe that these are things to come in the future. Now again, there are many views that we have discussed and some would say some of these things have happened in the past and perhaps that is the case. Uh, God's word is kind of tough in the book of Revelation, but again, we don't want to argue about the differences that we may not be sure about. We just want to know what's going to take place, and that is Jesus Christ is going to return. And so we can't lose our focus on that. So we will dig in to Revelation 18, which will talk more about this Babylon the Great. So let's pray, and then we'll dig in. Dear Lord God, I come to you today, and I thank you for uh, these words. And I know that we've had some heavy and tough stuff the last couple of weeks, but I pray that as we come into your word today that we don't miss the point, dear Lord. Sometimes we may think, well, these things don't apply to us. They're going to happen in the future. But God, with everything in your word, it applies to us. There is something good that I believe we can get out of everything. And so help us to get something out of your word today. I pray that you would hide me behind the cross, God, that I lay down my pride today and my weakness, dear Lord, and seek you for strength, uh, that you would speak through me, that you would speak to each one of us. In Jesus' name I pray Amen. Chapter 18, verse 1. After this, I saw another angel with great authority coming down from heaven, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. He cried in a mighty voice. 
It has fallen. Babylon the Great has fallen. She has become a dwelling for demons, a halt for every unclean spirit, a halt for every unclean bird, and a halt for every unclean and despicable beast. For all the nations have drunk the wine of her sexual immorality, which brings wrath. The kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown wealthy from her excessive luxury. Now last week, at the end of chapter 17, what we saw taking place was a great deception, probably the greatest deception that will ever take place. And I believe we see those things uh, in our world today. What we see in this great deception is one that Revelation calls the dragon, and then later goes on to tell us in chapter 17 that the dragon is Satan. It uses this representation, this symbolic language, and the devil is nothing nice. And the devil is going to deceive all of the world. Now, there will be some of us Christians here that will not be deceived because we know. We know what to expect. We know the devil's tactics. But according to the book of Revelations, it would appear as though most of the world will be deceived. Not just a few people here and there, but people of great power, whole nations, kings, and all these people who are rulers of different places will be deceived by the tactics of the Antichrist. That's the one who will come in human form that the devil will pretty much uh, possess, that will have his way. He will probably be a smooth talker, and he will be one who will deceive the nations and convince them that he is the way that he can get everything back on track. Now... All of us in this room today, we see our world today, and we see our nation, and we see that it's off track. And we see all these horrible things happen, and I would say that every one of us in here, we want our world to be at peace. We don't want to see war and bloodshed and all of these horrible atrocities that we see in our world today. But we also realize that what our world needs to correct that is for the Holy Spirit of God to be poured out and for people's hearts to change. The only way that our world is going to change is if God himself intervenes and people change their heart and begin to seek the Lord because the Lord is the only one who can make the change in this world that needs to be made. But there is coming one, the Antichrist, the devil himself, who is going to deceive the world and make them think that he has got all the answers. And we saw last week that this Antichrist has deceived all the nations and they have given their power to him. Now, throughout this process, we were introduced to Babylon the Great, a nation who was, it appeared, was alongside all of these other nations, and then in an instant they turned on this Babylon the Great. Now, this was a nation that is receiving great punishment from God. Because this nation, this place, this Babylon the Great, has been a nation that has been living apart from God. They have not been living for the Lord. They are a, a luxurious and wealthy nation, as we see uh, at the end of the last verse I just read, that, um, and the merchants of the earth have grown wealthy from her excessive luxury. All the nations have shared in the sinfulness of this Babylon the Great. 
So not only is this one nation become an ungodly nation or an ungodly city, depending on your view, and then not only has this uh, nation become an ungodly nation, but they have also shared in their ungodliness with all the other nations, and they've all been buddy-buddy, and they've all been getting along, and they've all been living apart from the Lord, and they have been building up for their self-judgment because they have continually rejected the word and the warnings of the Lord. And so this Babylon the Great is an ungodly nation that is essentially living for itself. There doesn't appear to be any real praise of the Lord. There doesn't appear to be any fear of the Lord. They have grown comfortable in their wealth and in their power. But God's wrath is about to be poured out upon this nation. A nation which was once great will soon become nothing, as we're about to see in the text. Continuing on in verse 4, Then I heard another voice from heaven, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins or receive any of her plagues. Now, that's to Christians. That is a little nugget, a little warning, and we saw a couple of those last week. We are constantly remembered that God is trying to get the one who is reading this. He's trying to get our attention because God is telling us What's about to happen to this Babylon the Great is going to be a massive destruction. There is going to be God's wrath poured out, and it's not just going to be a slap on the wrist. Justice is going to be served for the evil that has been committed in this nation. And God, as He is always faithful to do in His Word, He gives us an opportunity to respond to Him. Those who are His need to come out. If we're not His, we need to get to be His so that we can escape this wrath that is coming to Babylon the Great. For her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. This is a sinful nation. Imagine. This is figurative language. This is symbolic language. But imagine heaven would be millions and millions of miles, let's say, above us, if, it was, if you could figure out where heaven is. This is symbolic. But imagine we think of heaven being way up there, and we're way down here, and God says that the sins of this Babylon the Great are so high that they reach all the way to heaven. This is a symbolic language that lets us know that this is a sinful and evil nation. It goes on to say, pay her back the way she also paid and double it according to her works and the cup in which she mixed. Mix a double portion for her. So, justice is being served. This is a nation that has uh, lived for themselves. They have uh, put God out of everything. They have continued uh, to live in sin. They have refused to return to the Lord or accept the Lord for uh, at all. They have refused to acknowledge God. And God is saying the time has come where she, this nation, Babylon the Great, will be repaid double for what she has done. This is a, this is a intense wrath and judgment that is being poured out and taking place on this nation. As much as she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, give her that much torment and grief. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen, I am not a widow, and I will never see grief. Not only was this an evil nation, not only was this a wealthy nation, this was also a proud nation. 
And this Babylon the Great said, look, nothing's ever going to happen to me. Look at how great and wonderful I am. There was a great sense of pride in Babylon the Great. And I know we're talking about a grand city or a, or a big nation here, but we need to stop and reflect on this in our hearts. And we need to ask ourselves, do we have that same attitude? Because the Scripture tells us that pride comes before a fall. And what we are seeing here is a great fall of a mighty nation who has rejected the Lord. But the same can be said for our own personal lives. Do we ever become proud and think that we are so good? Boy, who could have done X, Y, and Z but me? I am so good. Who could have done that from but me? Who could have done such a good job? I am so good at what I do. I am so great. I am so wealthy. What bad could ever happen to me? Do we ever get that attitude? Now, we may not utter those words, but I must admit in my heart sometimes that pride is there. That comes from the devil. He tries to put that in there. What the devil will do is he will take good works that you do for the Lord, and then he will say, Boy, you sure are good. Boy, you are super Christian. Nobody can do that for you. And he wants us to believe that lie of pride. He wants us to think too highly of ourselves and not think highly enough of the Lord. And so we need to guard ourselves if you're in this room and you're a Christian because the devil will use that tactic. He'll use it on you if you're a non-Christian. He wants you to be proud. And this Babylon the Great had become proud. They had become overconfident in their own wealth and in their own abilities. For this reason, her plagues will come in one day, death and grief and famine. She will be burned up with fire because the Lord God who judges her is mighty. Plagues will come in one day. Now, we've talked a lot in the book of Revelation that sometimes when it talks about a day or an hour, it's symbolic language of, of, of a short time, although it could be literal. It could be that in a day's time, a mighty nation that will be in the end times will go from all might and power to completely destroyed in one day. could be literal. It could be symbolic. It could be that it is going to be a very short time, that is the day representing just a short period of time. It's not going to take long. It's not going to take long for this fall to take place because God's righteous judgment is going to be poured out. God has given ample opportunity. Don't say, well, man, that sounds harsh. Why does God do that? Why would God destroy people? I thought God loved everybody. God has given every possible opportunity. We've got 17 chapters of Revelation before this where God has given every single person an opportunity, including Babylon the Great, to repent and turn from their sinfulness, and they have refused to acknowledge God and turn from their sinfulness. And so God is being just in these verses. God is not a God that's unfair. God has been patient to this point. But there comes a point where justice must be served and we must all answer for what we have done. Let's read a little further. Verse 9. The kings of the earth who have committed sexual immorality and live luxuriously with her will weep and mourn over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment, saying, Woe, woe, the great city Babylon, the mighty city, for in a single hour your judgment has come. 
there's going to be this sense of, of shock and, and, and fear because here is mighty Babylon the Great that the Bible has talked about was a, a great nation and now all of a sudden in an instant in a short time it even says in one hour in this verse implying that the time is very short perhaps even one literal hour in this short amount of time, all of the other nations are going to see this great and powerful and wealthy, proud Babylon the Great fall instantly. Boy, that's going to be unbelievable. That's going to be an unbelievable day because all these other nations were getting rich. They were also living in the sinfulness with Babylon the Great, and they see this, and they begin to mourn. They begin to get fearful of these things that are taking place. Verse 11, the merchants of the earth will also weep and mourn over her because no one buys their merchandise any longer. So this is a nation that has made other nations wealthy. This is a nation that has bought much merchandise, that has bought many things from Babylon the Great. And all of a sudden Babylon the Great has gone, this wealthy nation, who is going to buy their stuff? They're probably weeping out of fear, but they're probably also weeping because now they're not going to have much money. They were getting rich off the sinful land of Babylon the Great. And now Babylon the Great is being destroyed. And these people are weeping and mourning because no longer will she buy their things. It gives us a list of these things in verse 12. Merchandise of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls, fine fabrics of linen, purple, silk and scarlet, all kinds of fragrant wood products, objects of ivory, objects of expensive wood, brass, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, and frankincense, wine, olive, olive oil, fine wheat, flour, and grain, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages, and slaves and human lives. So this Babylon the Great, it wasn't like they were just buying some spices from them. They were buying anything you can imagine from these other nations even human lives even human trafficking was taking place they were getting food they were getting uh, spices they were getting wood they were getting metals they were getting other human beings anything you can imagine this babylon the great was purchasing from these other nations they were all living in this sinfulness together but no more will babylon the great be able to do those things and buy those things because babylon the great is being destroyed and all the other nations are watching this in awe. Verse 14. The fruit you craved have, has left you. All your splendid and glamorous things are gone. They will never find them again. So Babylon the Great was craving worldly materialistic things. Babylon the Great was craving wealth. And God's Word says that all those things were being destroyed, never to be found again. Now again, we want to take a second and reflect on our own life. It's easy for us maybe to kind of miss what God's Word is telling us, but I think we can get something out of this. Do we ever do that in our life? Are we ever guilty as individuals as the same sin of Babylon the Great? That is that we are so consumed with our things that that becomes the focus of, of our actions. That is the focus. That's where we put all of our energy and all of our efforts to our things, things that are leading us into greater and greater sinfulness and further and further away from the Lord. 
Do we ever do that? The answer is yes. At least for me. There are times where there is that temptation. There is always that desire. As humans, when we see other people, we oftentimes desire. We just want a little better. We just want a little more. But we have to guard ourselves against those things. Because we see what happens to Babylon the Great here. It had become something that had consumed them, that had gotten them so far off the track that they, that, that had become their god. These things that they had accumulated, this wealth that they had accumulated, this power that they had accumulated. And they were about to lose it all in an instant. Verse 15. The merchants of these things who become rich from her will stand far off in fear of her torment and weeping and mourning, saying, Woe, woe, the great city dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, precious stones, and pearls. For in a single hour, such fabulous wealth was destroyed. Again, we have a reminder, in a single hour, in a very short period of time, this mighty nation will go from all-powerful to nothing in a short period of time. And every shipmaster seafarer, the sailors, and all who do business by sea stood far off as they watched the smoke from her burning and kept crying out, who is like the great city? They threw dust on their heads and kept crying out, weeping and mourning. Woe, woe, the great city, where all those who have ships on the sea became rich from her wealth. For in a single hour she was destroyed. There was no city that could be comparable to the great city. Uh, these, these people on their ships who were out uh, in the sea who were looking at the city that had been destroyed and there's again this sense of disbelief that such a mighty nation, such a wealthy nation could be destroyed in an instant. And I believe at that point the fear probably set in because <coughs> these who are seeing this, who are saying these things, if the most mighty nation, if the most powerful nation, if the most proud nation can fall, then what hope is there for the rest of the world? There is no hope. We've talked about that all throughout the book of Revelation. There is no hope to escape the wrath of God's judgment except for Jesus Christ. There is no other hope. But these people up to this point have rejected Jesus Christ. And they see God's destruction and God's wrath poured out. And it is a fearful and scary time. Verse 20. Rejoice over her heaven and you saints, apostles, and prophets because God has executed your judgment on her. Now, what we've seen to this point in the book of Revelation is we have seen much bloodshed of the saints of God. There have been those who have been martyred. We see that happening in our country and in our world today all the time. That those who are making a stand for Jesus Christ are losing their lives. We see back, I believe, in Revelation chapter 6 where those who had been martyred were praying to God, saying, God, when will you avenge our death? That was those who had been killed. They wanted justice to be served. And we finally see here in chapter 18 verse 20 that justice is being served rejoice over her heaven and you saints apostles and prophets because God has executed your judgment on her justice had finally been served God had told him to wait just a little longer just a little longer because God was being patient with this unrepentant world 
God was being patient with people who weren't repentant. God was giving them ample opportunity. He didn't answer the prayer of the saints who had been martyred instantly. He gave more and more time to these who had rejected him. But God said, finally, it is done. The time has come and judgment has come. Justice has been served. And those who are in Christ, those who are in heaven, those who have been clothed in pure white can rejoice. Because all the sin that's ruined the world, God is taking care of it. Verse 21. Then a mighty angel picked up a stone like a large millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, In this way, Babylon, the great city, will be thrown down violently and never be found again. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No craftsman of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a mill will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. And the voice of a groom and bride will never be heard in you again. All this will happen because your merchants were the nobility of the earth, because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. And the blood of prophets and saints and all of those slaughtered on the earth was found in you. This Babylon the Great, the Bible says, is the source of evil, that all these evil things has been uh, brought forth and, and helped to grow among the other nations because of this Babylon the Great, but no more, because its destruction will be great. Its destruction will be final. There will be nothing else to be done. There will be no more instruments to be played. There will be no more work to be done. There will be nothing else that will take place in Babylon the Great because it will be destroyed. We need to pay attention to God's Word. We need to pay attention that we don't fall into the same traps of Babylon the Great. Now, we've seen many Babylon the Greats throughout our history. If you go back and look at the history books, you see many evil nations that have grown to great wealth, that have grown to great power, that have been very proud, and that have fallen in an instant. We've seen many of these great nations cause a lot of horrible, evil things to take place. We see many of them in the Old Testament. We've seen them in our lifetime. You think about Hitler. You think about the Germans. We have seen many nations that have risen to great power and had much influence and have done evil things. So we have seen many Babylon the Greats, if you can say that, uh, throughout our history. Some would say that this Babylon the Great, if, if you hold to the idealistic view, and, and that is to say that, look, these things happen over time, and the book of Revelation is just an ultimate view of good and evil, and it's not talking about a specific instance, and some of you may hold that view, and that's okay. Uh, I personally believe that it's a physical place, as we talked about. Could be the United States of America. Don't know. We look at our country today, we look at our world today, and we see a nation that once claimed to be a godly nation, but when we look around our nation today, we don't see a godly nation in the United States of America. What we do see is a very powerful nation, a very wealthy nation that many other nations has become rich on. What we do see is a nation that does not put God first, but would rather live in sinfulness. 
We live in a nation that has become proud. We are a proud nation, whether we want to admit it or not. There are many Americans who think, what could possibly happen to us? We are the great United States of America. These verses could be talking about our very own country. It could be talking about a country thousands of years from now. I don't know. I don't know who Babylon the Great is. But here's what I do know. Is this destruction is going to be great. This destruction is going to be great and we don't want to be caught living in the same sinfulness as Babylon the Great. Now, we might not have the power to change a nation, but you do have the power to change your own heart by accepting Jesus Christ. You can't change it on your own, but when you accept Jesus Christ, He will transform you. He will change you. He will cover you with His blood. He will spare you from the wrath of God. It's not going to be a pretty day. We've looked at a lot of heavy stuff in the last few weeks in the book of Revelation. And we've seen it all kind of come to a head uh, this week in the destruction of Babylon the Great. We see that God is not joking around. God is not playing. God has been patient. And God is being patient with each and every one of you. If you are in this room today, praise the Lord. God has been patient with you. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ, praise the Lord that you are in this room today. Let us not as individuals become proud and think too highly of ourselves. Let us not as individuals uh, uh, put too much effort and security into our wealth, into our home, into our car, into our retirement plan because we see firsthand in God's word that things of the world can be gone in an instant. Whole nations can fall in an instant and there is no security that you can have today apart from Jesus Christ. And some of you are saying, well, I got a pretty good 401k and I got this and these are, these are secured by the FDIC and I've got... No, you don't have any security. I hate to break it to you. It's a rude awakening. There is no security that we have in this world today apart from Jesus Christ. And it is a, a security that promises to protect us, to, to take care of us, to free us from all the burden and sin, from all of eternity. And that is some good security. And God gives us the Holy Spirit as a down payment. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we acknowledge that Jesus Christ died on a cross for our behalf, and that's something we must all do individually. I can't do that for you. But if the Holy Spirit is tugging on your heart and you realize that you are living in sinfulness, you've never been cleansed of your sin, you've been trying to live a perfect life and you can't, there is only one who did that and that is Jesus Christ. And he lived a perfect life and he died on the cross on your behalf so that you could come and ask him to be your Savior, so that you could accept him into your life, into your heart for the forgiveness of your sins, so that you could acknowledge that he rose three days later and you can become his servant and he will become your your master. He will become your Lord. And he will cleanse you of your sins and he will free you from God's wrath that is to come. But you have to make that choice. Let's pray. God, we come to you today and we thank you for your words, even though they are heavy. We thank you for the goodness of your words and I thank you for Jesus Christ. And God, my prayer today is that, that there is one in this room that does not know Jesus Christ, if they have not accepted your Son, that they would do so today. 
that they would acknowledge their sinfulness, their need for a Savior. God, it's not a hard thing. It doesn't require us to jump through hoops, dear Lord. You don't require us to be perfect. You don't require us to meet a checkbox, God. Your checkbox is Jesus. And all you call of us to do for salvation is to meet with Jesus, to accept Him as Lord and Savior, to ask Him to forgive us, to ask Him to come into our life and to believe that He is your Son, that He was resurrected and to confess that to the world and to be your servant and to live for you. So I pray, God, if there is one in this room that has not accepted Jesus, they would today. That if there are any in this room that, that, that God, we struggle with the same sins that we see Babylon the great God, that we would not give in to those things that would lead us to destruction, but we would give in to Jesus who would lead us to freedom. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen.